You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. How appropriate that song on this day when we've been watching a week's worth of destruction, unnecessary horrific destruction of life and property in Ukraine. And our hearts are with them, not right next to Ukraine, but not too far from Ukraine. Stefania, where is Stefania? Where does she go? There she is over there. Stefania Unziker has come in from Italy. We're so glad. And it's so appropriate She is here this morning. Earlier this week, I lost a good friend, Gerald Olive. In fact, I'll be preaching his funeral this afternoon. The Lord is sovereign, and he would have made this happen some way. But if it had not been for Gerald Olive, humanly speaking, I I would have never gone to Teen Valley. If I, and then I would have never gone to Bible school. And then I would have never gone to university. I would never have had any of those opportunities in my life But Gerald did not suggest what I was going to do. He told me what I was going to do. I got saved just before I got out of high school. And uh, Gerald said, you need to go up to this camp. You'll be a counselor. I got there and the the director said, how long have you been a Christian? I said, a month and a half. And he said, you'll be on work staff this summer. And I was on work staff. So that was great that I was able to do that, but he told me what my next steps were at a time when I had no idea what my next steps ought to be. And when Stefania came this morning, I'm thinking, you know, if that had not happened, probably Joe and Stefania wouldn't have been at Isola. Isola's there, but we had wonderful communion in my, my heart for camp. I met these guys through a third part. It's just how the Lord works it all together. Whatever the Lord is <laughs> impressing you to do, do it. Do it. You have no idea how important it is. So <clears throat> I would appreciate your prayers at 2 o'clock this afternoon. It's a very casual funeral. That's why I'm dr- No, I'm kidding. I'll go home and change. <clears throat> well, how often... Do you pray for people you never met? You've never met? <laughs> if prayer is an easy discipline for you, I imagine you do it fairly often. Uh, when it, whether the request comes from Facebook or Faith Life, you're on it. It's like, oh, someone is asking us to pray for a friend of theirs or a relative of, of theirs, and we need to pray together. No telling how many times you do that through the course of a year. Here's another question. How often do you pray for the spiritual well-being of brothers and sisters that you do not know but who are already walking with the Lord? You know about them, but you don't know them personally. They're already walking with the Lord. I know that you pray when requests are made for those who have never known the Lord or for those who have walked away from the Lord. But what about believers? Are you praying for them? 
Our text this morning is Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. Uh, perhaps you recall the time in the book of Acts when Paul was in Colossae and a revival. No, wait a minute. Paul never went to Colossae. This church was established by Epaphras, who was one of their own, but in many ways was a missionary that Paul sent to a place he'd never been. And that's a name you don't hear every day, right? Epaphras. In Colossians 1, we learn about Epaphras' missionary work in establishing the church. In chapter 4, uh, we learn a little bit about the man himself. And back when such a title meant something, I used to preach a sermon called, Why Be Like Mike When You Can Be Like Epaphras? He was a great one, and a commitment to prayer was part of his greatness. Paul said he's always praying for you. He loves you dearly, and he's always praying for you. Colossians 1, 9 to 14 is a model prayer for brothers and sisters that although we've never met, we know about them through the work of our missionaries. It's a good prayer, in fact, for all who walk with Jesus. To provide context, I'm going to begin reading at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Colossian church. So if you would, please stand for the reading of Scripture and I will be reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and then we'll zero in on verses 9 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters, he would say, in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We Always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. <clears throat> of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. <clears throat> and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, Asking that you may have good health, that you'll get all the promotions that God has planned. <clears throat> no, wait. That's not how he prays. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. wonder if we could think like this. We certainly want to pray for the safety of Ukrainians in harm's way, especially, especially for our brothers and sisters there. But what if we pray this as well? These Colossians were in harm's way just to believe the gospel and especially to proclaim the gospel in the first century, put you in harm's way. But here's how Paul prayed. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all 
spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. <clears throat> well, I, I am going to guess that prayer meetings in the first century <clears throat> were a little different than prayer meetings that we would attend today. I'm certain there were prayers offered for health and financial well-being, but the New Testament prayers set the example of praying for spiritual well-being more than physical and circumstantial well-being. In fact, Paul told the Philippians, don't worry about me. God has done this for a reason. You can't believe how the gospel is going forward because of what he's doing through me. Believers were especially excited when they heard of new believers in another city in the Roman Empire. We hear about new churches and it's, ah, oh, that's very nice. That's nice. Good. Good. Hope it does well. This morning, before we work our way through Colossians 1, 9 to 14, in this series about missions, it would be good for us to remember the converts of the missionaries that we support. In the month of March, we're going to spend the entire month in the book of Philippians and think about our privilege to partner with people who are serving God all around the world. Hopefully, you'll be meeting some of our mission team members. You'll be learning a little bit about what our mission team does during uh, the month of March. But this morning, let's think about praying for the converts that result, that come as a result of their service. So here's the list of our missionaries, just so that you will remember. Roy and Margaret Lytle, serving in Suriname, South America. They're in Florida a lot of the time. Roy will be up here, Lord willing, in September and preach Hopefully, we're going to be having a mission fair at the same time. Ron and Debbie Stafford are in Cali, Columbia. They are also in South Carolina. They're close to Columbia, South Carolina. This is Columbia. They are in Columbia, now Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and both of these missionaries are older. They've served the Lord for a long time, and they're staying very much in touch. One of the commitments of our mission team is to keep supporting missionaries who have served well for a long time. These guys, when they were young, were told, retirement account, that, that's sinful. Planning for retirement, that's sinful. So our commitment is as long as these guys are breathing and serving the Lord, we will be uh, standing with them and, and, and appreciate and honor the work that they've done. Ricky Mill, who had a huge role and not in the founding of Grace Community Church, but the establishment of Grace Community Church is an outstanding counselor with Barnabas Ministries in Raleigh. Larry Wilson also serves as a counselor with Lighthouse Ministries in Cary. And we send people to both of those counselors. 
Jeffrey Thomas, or you may know him as Geo, serving with campus outreach at Campbell University. And Geo, you'll find him here most Sundays. Dennis and Linda Beck, serving with crew both in Ohio and in Hungary. And Ben and Jill McGuire, serving with crew as well, both locally and internationally. Now, someone told me, Jason, was it you? Somebody told me how many, Ted, how many missionaries does crew have, does crew have in Ukraine? How many? 150 Ukrainians. So, all right. So with crew, Dennis and Linda Beck used to serve in Poland when it was behind the Iron Curtain. Then they are now in Hungary. And Dennis has a huge role in the mission community of helping missionaries keep peace. One of the things we'll talk about next um, month, how easy it is for missionaries to get sideways with one another and then there goes the work. And Ben has a great ministry with students who go on stint. He, he, he goes over to Spain and different places in Europe and helps them settle down sometimes and uh, get along. Joe and Stefania Hunziker. That seems like I know those guys. Serving at Isola Camp in central Italy. A haven in Italy. A lot of kids come in there. A lot of adults, too, knowing Jesus in a land where Protestants are considered to be cult members. So pray for them. Neil and Myra Manning serving, uh, once again, our own Neil and Myra Manning, serving with TWR, Transworld Radio. Their reach is global. You've got to hear the presentation and to hear how. And we've got others in our church who are serving with Transworld as well. But you've got to hear how the radio gets into North Korea. There's no way to get the gospel to North Korea except that way. Now, God, I'm sure, uses other, other means. But that is a primary means in places where you just can't get in. Dave and Wynn Knight, Teach and Tell Ministries. They live in Australia. But my, my goodness, Dave kind of follows the, the pattern of the Apostle Paul. He goes to the World Cup and to the Olympics. And he does... Street ministry that is amazingly effective. He goes all over the world. Maybe one of these years we can get our youth connected with him somewhere where they're doing uh, street witnessing. Mike and Sarah Rader, the Center for Biblical Preaching. Michael, Mike will be here in um, May. So we'll be hearing from him in May. Mike teaches, trains preachers all over Australia, but also in Malaysia and in Africa. And Africa's a really important field. There may be as many as one. Some people estimate as many as one billion believers in Africa by the end of this century. And the gospel that they know for the most part is a prosperity gospel. Mike goes in to teach them how to preach. But he said, I end up spending the whole week teaching them how to study scripture. And they're amazed when they learn. How to study scripture. Jenny Tate, who served us so well here at Grace Community Church, is serving at a church in Canberra, Australia. So that's the Aussie page. And then Joy Vonk, uh, medical missions in Kenya, currently on medical leave. She's got long COVID and she's, <laughs> she's got it pretty bad. She's going to be in town next weekend. We hope she'll be able to be at church. Not sure that she'll be able to. But pray for Joy, who also served us well. Used to play violin in the worship team. TVR Christian Camp, 
Plumtree, North Carolina. If you don't know where Plumtree is, it's halfway between spruce pine and cranberry. So maybe that'll clear it up for you a little bit. All ages serve in there. We have 40? How many, Ricky, do we? I know 29. Okay, still up there. So a lot of people serving there, but people come from those tentacles reach to a lot of places. Amazing Grace Adoptions. This agency has served GCC families uh, well over the years. And then Hand of Hope, reaching unwed pregnant women and their partners. Most of them are un, unmarried. Uh, and so, but they're, they're not just trying to minister to the women, but also to the men as well. They're in Fuquaverina in Raleigh. And all of these ministries have hearts for evangelism. Every single one of these people want to share the gospel with others. And we get to be partners with them. And we're supporting anywhere from $300 to $650 a month to these guys. So pray, not only for their ministries, but the kind of prayer we're about to examine a little more closely. Pray this kind of prayer for the converts who trust Christ as a part of their ministry. So... As we work our way through this model prayer for new believers given to us in Colossians 1, 9 to 14, pray in your heart for these guys and their fruit. Not many of the points that you're going to see on the screen are written as prayer points, but this is the way Paul prayed. They are indeed what we should pray for, for those who are serving the Lord on the field. Make sure your Bible is open or your phone is there to Colossians 1 as I go through the text, because I'm not going to go back to the text, but I want to identify the lessons that we learned, beginning with, we should not only pray, we should pray a lot. Paul told the new believers at Colossae that he and Timothy, and likely others as well, began praying for the Colossians just as soon as they heard about it. They were so excited that these people had come to Christ. And Epaphras told them a church has been established to the glory of God. And they were like, once again, we're on it. We're going to pray for them. Look, I have confessed many times that prayer is a difficult spiritual discipline for me. How can it not be when you're thinking 1,000 things at the same time and you're solving problems that don't even exist in society? That's what my brain is doing all the time. It's easier for me to pray with others, though, than it is to pray by myself. And you might think, ah, oh, but that doesn't count as much. Really? Are we not put in a community? Bible study is better on your own than with... No, we, it's better in community. Now, of course, do it on your own. But the Lord has put us in a family. And we cannot live this life. We weren't designed to live this life on our own. So, let's begin praying more for our missionaries and the converts who believe because of their ministries. Next, pray for our brothers and sisters to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. As was the case with so many of the letters that Paul wrote 
to first century churches around the Roman Empire, the apostle was interacting with them, dealing with a false teaching that happened to be at that particular church. The heresy in the Colossae church combined Jewish commitment to ceremonial law and a Greek fascination with special and secret knowledge. It was pre-Gnosticism. The Gnostics, if you're thinking, oh, these guys were Gnostics. No, Gnosticism wasn't full-blown by then, but it was coming. And Gnosticism was, was a, a, a sort of a Platonist philosophy that sometimes was connected with, with Christianity. But this philosophy said salvation comes through secret knowledge. And Paul said, no, <clears throat> There is secret knowledge, but everyone that the Spirit touches knows it. And you don't have different, you don't have a secret knowledge that I don't have. We all have it in the Word. We get a personal relationship with God, but nobody gets a private relationship with God. It's important to understand the difference. So Paul was directing them to the only true knowledge and wisdom and understanding that can only be found in God's Word. And I realize it was not as fully established then, but people understood the apostolic teaching was equal with Old Testament Scripture. They knew that in that day. So this wisdom and understanding can only be found in God's Word, which points us to Jesus always, as the rest of Colossians 1 is going to make very clear. We won't read it, but... You would do well to read it later today by yourself. No, with your family. No, just read it. I don't care. New converts and seasoned Christians alike can erroneously craft their own special form of Christianity by combining Christianity, by combining Scripture, self-help, programs, pagan religions, and we do it at a surprisingly high level in the States. You think, oh yeah, that's somewhere else. No, it's tempting for all of us. We have to stay grounded in the Word. Pray that new converts, both here and abroad, will long for the sincere milk of the Word so that they will grow into maturity. Next, it is a privilege. It is not a burden. It is a privilege to radiate. I say radiate instead of reflect because it comes from within. Both the love and holiness of Jesus in our lives. We are called to walk or to live in a certain way, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully Pleasing to him. All that feel that you did this this week, please raise It's not easy, is it? Remember, most of the time, when we see the Lord in the New Testament, we see the word Lord in the New Testament, it's referring to Jesus. God usually refers to the Father. Lord usually refers to Jesus. Spirit, of course, refers to the Holy Spirit. Not always. Sometimes it's talking about the spirit of man. Uh, but most of the time when you see spirit capitalized, the translators understand it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Although the Christian life is full of blessings, 
It's not a casual life. Pray that our missionaries and those who believe because of their ministries will live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Next, bearing fruit and growing in knowledge are equally important in a life that has been made new. One segment of Paul's prayer was that the Colossians would be continually bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, both of which are components of a life lived that is worthy of the Lord. He he sort of describes what does that life look like? Well, here's one of them. We bear fruit and we grow in knowledge. So... Does bearing fruit reference A, our conduct, B, the positive response of our witness, in other words, other people coming to Christ because of our witness, or C, endurance and patience and suffering? You might think the answer is D, all of the, uh, the above, but a better answer would be E, all of the above and then some. That's what you'd find in a Southernese commentary. That's how it would describe what Paul is talking about. One who professes Christ and bears no fruit. Well, that's a contradiction. Perhaps one of the reasons believers do not bear as much fruit as they could is that they are not increasing in the knowledge of God. So which is it, heart or mind? The answer to this question is a simple yes. Without the heart, the mind is meaningless. Without the mind, the heart's not going that far. We're to be increasing in the knowledge of God. The work of the Trinity permeates the book of Colossians, giving us spiritual wisdom about the Father's plan for the ages, which is centered in His Son, Jesus, and made known to us, by the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. Don't separate the Spirit and Scripture. Think of the Holy Spirit as synonymous with the Word. I know it's different, but but the Word never contradicts the Spirit. And the Spirit, without the Spirit, we the Word doesn't mean anything to us. So think of the of the Spirit in the Word as synonymous. And as we increase in knowledge of the Word. Spiritual fruit naturally builds in our lives. So pray that our missionaries and those they serve will stay connected with the word. And that they will bear much fruit. Pray that our new brothers and sisters in North Korea through the ministry of Transworld Radio will be able to have access to the word. To the whole word. Whole Bible. So much we take for granted, isn't there? Next, good news. We find the strength to meet the expectations commensurate with our identity in Christ by looking up, not by looking within. Now, Colossians, Romans 6 and Colossians 3 are, are two of the most important texts in Scripture that talk to, tell us about our identity in or with Christ. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. Two of those were most likely pejorative. But we read in Christ, with Christ, Christ in you. We read this hundreds of times in the New Testament. 
Our identity with Christ is what gives us the strength to live in the ways that we want to. If it's up or that God wants us to. If it's up to me, (laughs) it's not likely to happen no matter how disciplined I am. Remember, Jesus' harshest words were for those who justified themselves before God by their good works. We can never be good enough, but the bad news is followed by the good news that Jesus was good enough. And when we humble ourselves and acknowledge before the Lord that there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation, and when we trust Jesus not only for our redemption, but but also for him serving or working through us to make us who he wants us to be. Well, then we know we belong to him. We belong to him when we call out to him to save us. But we get a sense of that when we find the Lord doing the work that we're incapable of doing. Now, what is the thing? What's the one thing you're dealing with? It's more difficult than anything else in your life. It may be an attitude. It may be a temptation. It may be a lack of discipline in this area, that area. Maybe laziness. What is the one thing? Why don't this week, why don't we commit together to say over and over, Lord, I can't do this. If this is going to get done, it's going to have to be you. Please help me. I yield myself to you. In John 15, when Jesus was talking about the fruit that the disciples would bear for him, he said, without me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. That promise is equally valid for us. With Jesus, much fruit. Without Jesus, nothing of eternal value. You may self-help yourself to a better life. But it won't be of eternal value. If it's not yielded to the Lord. If it isn't just so that you can feel better about yourself. Maybe the problem with a lot of plans that help us to get hold of this or that in our lives, they don't don't always come with true humility. There's a subtle, you're good enough, you can do this, which we're told about everything, and that bleeds over into our thinking about our relationship with God. You can do this, you you got this. Okay, God, you saved me. I got it from here. I'll take care of this. And he graciously reminds us that, no, we won't take care of this. Pray that our brothers and sisters in Christ, both here and on the mission field, will humble themselves and look to Jesus for strength. Next, the endurance and patience called for in Paul's prayer are usually associated with suffering. Now, we wouldn't pick that up necessarily. But there's a connection. Endurance and patience in the New Testament are often connected with suffering, which leads us to an eternal perspective. So we 
are in a war that is just as real as the one in Ukraine at this moment. Now that sounds callous, doesn't it? In, in no way do I mean to diminish the horror and suffering of the Ukrainian people one iota. If Jesus really is, though, the Son of God, and if his kingdom is light breaking into darkness when the darkness doesn't want to be broken into, and if Satan is opposed to God, then the spiritual war is real and it will have physical and material consequences. Our context in America has been a Christian life with little suffering other than health and financial. And so that's one of the reasons that we pray about it. But take instruction. These guys were suffering or faced the prospects of suffering. And Paul barely talked about it. Just said, I pray that you will endure and that you'll be patient in suffering. In other words, that you'll love your enemies like Jesus did. And that you'll be humble. And that you'll trust God. In much of what we consider to be the free world, laws are already on the books to regulate what you can say and not say. If someone asks you for counseling about sexuality, if you promote a biblical view of human sexuality in marriage, you can be fined and sentenced up to two years imprisonment in Canada and up to ten years imprisonment in Victoria, Australia. Already on the books. We talked with Mike Rader about it the other night. He said, yeah, it's definitely here. Two of the missionaries that we support, in fact, live in Melbourne, Australia, which is in the state of Victoria. I have few pastor friends that I meet with and other pastors that I interact with at different times and whenever the topic comes up we all agree without equivocation that one of our primary responsibilities is to prepare the next generation for suffering because of their witness for Christ. Suffering will come whether it be um, In two years or 20 years or 200 years, it will come to America. And we must be prepared to suffer. How do we prepare to suffer? Get wrapped up in this prayer. Ask the Lord for these things to be true in your life. But when we think about the prospect of our freedoms be taken, being taken away, what should we do? Should we fight to remain free? We have certain privileges in our form of democracy that allow us to have a great deal of influence about where the country goes. But at some point, you got to realize we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. Prince of darkness. It's a spiritual warfare. So we should prepare our hearts to patiently endure all suffering, but especially suffering. That is the result, the direct result of our gospel witness. As we patiently endure, we will learn to love our enemies as Jesus did and realize the truth of our next point. Joy comes not from circumstances, but through 
recognition that although there is nothing we can do to achieve eternal life, the Father has qualified us for an eternal inheritance through Jesus. These last three prayer points are far more theological statements than they are prayerful requests, but they follow Paul's admonition to give thanks for the wonderful salvation that he's given us in Jesus. And we'll see how this should inform all of our lives, not just our prayer lives, but everything that we think and do. In Colossians 2.18, Paul encouraged the believers not to be troubled by those who would seek to disqualify them because they don't follow the religious rituals that others thought necessary for salvation. Some of you perhaps have been disqualified from certain social media platforms, or you will be if you keep going and saying the things that you believe. Instead, these believers were to give thanks to the one who had qualified them to receive an eternal inheritance. We give thanks not only for the blessings that we have in Jesus, but also for what we have been saved from, as the next point indicates. Make no mistake, we have been supernaturally delivered from the domain of darkness, and we now belong to Jesus' kingdom, which is characterized by light. You know, it's always fun to watch New believers struggle with an awareness that others don't see it as clearly as they do now. I mean, for 18 or 28 or 45 years, they walked in darkness. But now, Jesus has saved me. And come on, Bob Thompson, why can't you see this? How do you not see it, man? Well, it's not clear for those who live in darkness just like it wasn't clear for you three weeks ago. Your eyes adjust to darkness. But if you've never seen the light, you have no conception of what it means to walk with Jesus. You cannot see the truth until the Lord opens your eyes. Have you noticed how much passive language is used in these verses? He has qualified us for an inheritance. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is of the Lord totally. So pray as our missionaries proclaim the gospel that the Lord will do this for the people who hear the word. It's not happening if we don't proclaim the word. And he uses, for whatever reason, he uses our prayers. So pray that God will open the eyes of the lost. This brings us to our last point. At the beginning and end of our redemption is the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus. When we recognize the gravity of our sins and the fullness of God's grace, we will praise, endure, submit, treasure, obey, patiently wait, and glorify the Lord. 
When we fail to see the gravity of our sins, we will seek to justify ourselves. And we will acknowledge that prayer is difficult and so is living a life worthy of the Lord. So look, can I just play along here? The more you know about the word, the more you know about Jesus, the less you need him. Because you know how to play the game until you remember, no, no, I'm hopeless without him. That's why the gospel must permeate our lives. It's not just the plan of salvation. It's not just the message that brings us into a relationship with Christ. It is the message of all of scripture. It's the message for the rest of our lives that will draw us closer and closer to him. Our Place in the body of Christ is his doing from start to finish. And these are not easy days. But our joy is not based on our circumstances. circumstances, But on our willingness to embrace gospel. So I'd like to close not by reading Colossians 1, 9 through 14 again. But by reading Psalm 32. Um. I'm going through the Psalms over and over, and it just seems like, for whatever reason, Psalm 32 jumps off the page at me, probably because it's like I always need it when I, when I get there, you know? Psalm 32, here are these words from the Scripture. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I failed to acknowledge my sin, when I thought that I could do this on my own, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Salah. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Here's the thing about the Psalms. You read, in the integrity, God hears me because of my integrity. But almost every Psalm, you'll see what he was saying. I confess my sin to the Lord. And now he says, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. You know who the godly one is? One whose sins have been forgiven. And the one whose sins have been forgiven are the ones who's, who have acknowledged their sinfulness, and confess to the Lord their sin and their need of Him. You are a hiding place for me. And Lord, be that for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 
Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you, but instead walk a life that is worthy of the Lord. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And with that we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful not only to be part of your church established here in Anger and reaching out to communities far and a little bit farther away. We thank you also for this great privilege we have to partner with our missionaries who are doing such fine work. These who have surrendered their lives and have said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And it's not easy, it's not easy living being a missionary. Uh, we see how hard they work and how much they care. And how much disappointment there is in places where the ground is hard and brittle. So, Lord, we pray for the strength uh, necessary for our missionaries to do the work. We pray for patient endurance and suffering if it's necessary. And we pray for those who will believe that you would bring them into this union. Not You certainly do when, when you save them, but that they might become aware of what that union with Christ means. So, Lord, we Give ourselves a fresh and anew to you this morning. Pray these things in the name of the one who has redeemed us, the Son of God, and all that he stands for, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.